0: We're going to go to Psalms 126 in a way, just a second here, but we're going to go to Psalms 126 this morning. We're going to be reading verse 1 through 6. Okay, let's go. When the Lord brought back the captives of Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths will fill fill with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Now we're in the Psalms, what's called the Psalms of Ascent. And these are 15 Psalms, starting in Psalms chapter 120 to Psalms chapter 134. And they are the songs that the people would sing as they would go three times a year to the festivals in Jerusalem. And uh, uh, the, the, these, so these were meditations that were preparing them for uh, meeting God in the tabernacle, for offering their sacrifices, and for going to the house of God. And... Uh, if, you're, if you've read Obedience, uh, Long Obedience in the Same Direction, you know uh, 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 Eugene Peterson what takes a bit of a different direction than I do on this chapter. It's most of the chapters. I, I don't think I've preached any of them, uh, borrowing from Eugene Peterson's insights, though his insights are, are really great. Uh, I think on this chap- particular chapter, uh, Eugene Peterson illustrates what we all know, that e- even the very best, scholars and, uh, and, pre- and preachers sometimes uh, don't get it exactly right. And um, he misses the point on this one a little bit, in, in that he, 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 he talks about captivity in Egypt. And it's not the captivity in Egypt that this passage is talking about, it's the captivity in Babylon. And so we're going to get into that today, because it represents, and here's why I want to get into it, and I'll tell you in a second what I'm going to talk about it, it, it gets into the, the abuse and the pain and the sin and the problems of our past. And so I'm calling this message, um, how to be blessed with your blessings, how to be blessed with your blessings uh, and how to be thrilled with your opportunities. Now, one might read that and hear me say that and go, sure, sure. Something good had happened to Israel. They had been returned to the promised land. They had been returned to Palestine. And uh, no wonder they were happy because they were back in the land of promise. They were back in the place that God had promised them. No wonder they were happy. Everybody was happy when something good happens to them, right? Everybody's happy when their life turns around. They, they, they get a good job opportunity they, they show up at a good church like Bethany Community Church. They become a part of that. And now they're able to become a part of, of, of the lives of some really good people who are not going to abuse them in the way they were abused in the past. or not going to hurt them in the way they were hurt in the past. Sure, they're going to be happy. If you think that, you would be wrong. Completely, completely wrong. By now, it's safe to say that I've personally known a few hundred people who couldn't embrace the good fortune that God had placed before them. They could not enter into a better future, even though it was available to them. They couldn't enter into the opportunity of a career. They couldn't enter the opportunity of better friends. They couldn't enter the opportunity of more emotional and spiritual blessings. The past was, was all they could still think about. They could not get past their past. Uh, the Hebrews display this, and I see this throughout the Psalms of Ascent. They, they display this different way of looking at God and different way of, of looking at life. Even though God, had, God took the blame in a way. He placed the blame on them, but he also took the blame on himself. For having them taken captive and becoming forced immigrants to the pagan land of Babylon. God, they knew that God had ordained them to go and suffer. But yet, we don't see them at all angry, resentful, shame-based, or haunted by 70 years of displacement. We don't see them in, in, in a place, and there's nothing wrong with needing th- therapy and counseling, by the way, not, not at all, but we don't see them in that place. Now, uh, this doesn't even include the fact that they came home to a city and a country whose infrastructure had been completely destroyed, and the, and the economy had been completely destroyed. Just, just imagine leaving your property for 70 years. Just imagine leaving your property. You say, well, my yard looks kind of like that now. Uh, but, but imagine leaving your property and your house for 70 years and coming home, e- even if there was no vandalism, it would be in horrible shape. The Babylonian exile, by the way, was, or the Babylonian captivity, the, that forced detention of Jews in Babylonia, it, it, it started in about 598 uh, B.C., and continued. There were, there were several different de- deportations. And it continued to like 580, um, uh, uh, 560, 538, I, I meant to say, 538 BC. A- and then and, and, uh, it was formally ended uh, uh, in, I, I, let me get my facts straight. It was formally ended in 538 BC. That's when King Cyrus gave permission for the Jews to go back to Palestine. Now, I want you to hear me this morning, and I know there are probably those here this morning who are who are in that place where your past was difficult, and your past was traumatic, caused by probably some of your own mistakes and decisions, bad decisions, probably caused by some bad decision of other people. But I want to. I want to. I want to see if I can challenge you this morning. See if I can give you a word and give you an understanding that the Hebrews seem to have that will allow you to really appreciate that God has got you in a place where your dreams can come, to, can come true. They said, all our dreams are coming true. All our dreams are coming true. That 70 years of, of exile, that 70 years of being among what we'll see in a passage in a moment tormentors, we're, we're not going to let ourselves be scarred by that. We're going to move into what God has for us. Uh, uh, Deborah Nair, our own Deborah Nair, many of you met her when we had uh, Compassion Sunday a few weeks ago, uh, kept coming to my mind. And uh, I, I, I called her on the phone because I wanted to get permission to talk to her. She is not here today. She's She's traveling, she's with her family today, some of her extended family. And uh, Deb is uh, about to finish, or finishing up a discipleship process, which she started uh, two years ago, uh, about two years ago, when she, Olivia, and Oliver moved into what we call the Blessing House. The Blessing House is the property in uh, 49 Lidwood Avenue in, in uh, Northbridge, or Whitensville, in fact, j- just for your information, um, the bank has approved the loan for that property. Amen? I bl- uh, amen. Give the Lord a hand. And uh, I think we have cl- closing date, August 30. And we have also have the uh, House of Seven Cape Road is under agreement. So it looks like that's going to work out. God is really helping us get through this beautifully. So... Uh, Deb and Oliver, Olivia and Oliver, have lived there the past couple of years and gone through a discipleship uh, process that uh, uh, my Sherry, uh, I have not been extremely involved except just to be her pastor, and and, uh, uh, Steve and Joy Johnson have been involved. They live there as well. Uh, Now, she won't mind me saying to to, to you today that She lived uh, uh, that that she made a lot of bad decisions in her life, and a lot of, and some bad decisions were made by people she got involved with as well. Uh, But as she neared the end of the program, Sherry and I'm sure others began to encourage her to go back to school because she had started going to school for diagnostic medical sonography about six or seven years ago and her life was, was starting to go badly, and she, she dropped out. And uh, everything was kind of culminated, as many of you know, many of you were there, and you were ministering with us when her husband passed away uh, suddenly a few, uh, few months ago. And so Sherry and others encouraged Deb to go back to school. And I really was praying for Deb during that time. I was praying because I know how hard it is for people to leave their past. It is so hard. I've seen so many people who just couldn't do it. They just couldn't leave a life that was that, that, that characterized by, uh, by uh, addiction and other, other, other behaviors and activities and a life that was characterized by being around people who, who were sometimes abusive. And it's just it just takes a special grace for people even though even though everything has changed and 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 a better path is right before them it just takes it takes special grace and i've seen so many people fail to do it and so she was encouraged to go back to school and she she went back to school and she to start that process she took a test for this Diagnostic medical sonography field. And um, I I forced her to tell me because I knew she wouldn't want to just blurt it out, but because she's not an egotistical person. Uh, She was in the top 90%, 97% for the state of Massachusetts. Uh, That's that's 15 people out of 500. So 500 people took the test. Deb was in the top. Deb was Deb was 15 out of 500, and uh, she she thought she was going to go. She told me this, and she wanted me to tell you this. She thought she was going to go into vascular diagnostics, and she said his or her words. God told me to change the order to general BC. I want to help women in trouble, so she'll be doing sonograms on pregnant pregnant women. And she wanted me to let you know that that was especially significant for her. And uh, the program that she is in, I forget what it's called. I'm sure Sherry could tell me. The program she is in has 100% job placement uh, record. So most likely she'll be working right here in Milford. I don't know. But last night she was with her siblings and they asked her this question if you could go back into your childhood and choose any age that they were having this conversation among themselves, if we could go back any age and choose which age we would live at, Deb said, I would choose right now. That's what I want to try to connect with. I want those of you in this room today, even those of you, maybe your past wasn't so traumatic or difficult, I want you to choose right now. I want you to choose right now as the place in your life to begin to move into the best future you could ever imagine. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, my best days are ahead. Now, I want to give you, in the next few minutes, three things that the Hebrews understood. Three things the Hebrews understood. First of all, they understood that the journey to joy is often preceded by the discipline of the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that all of your suffering is a consequence of bad behavior. In fact, there were great people that got taken into captivity, like Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And, of course, there were people that got hurt in the process, people like Prophet Jeremiah. So there were some great people who got caught up in this. But I don't, I, I don't like identity politics. I don't like it even a little bit. But I do love identity <laughs> with, with God and the people of God. But there's a downside to that. There's a downside to identifying as the children of God and the people of God is you go through whatever the people of God go through. And you own whatever the people of God go through. And the people of God went through a period of severe discipline for the Lord from the Lord. And the Hebrews accepted... As a group, they accepted the fact that a sovereign God uses the consequences of sin in a family and in a nation to cause us to long for him. I said a sovereign God uses sin and the consequences of sin in a family, in a nation, or in an individual To cause them to long for him. And if you don't understand that. You will live in soul destroying resentment and bitterness your whole life. You will be so full of bitterness that you won't be able to lean in to the blessing that God has after the consequences of the sin is gone and after it's been lifted and God is trying to give you a season of prosperity. You won't be able to move into it because you will be so bitter over the suffering. You will be so angry over the fact that you were either the you were either the one who that God was disciplining or you were in a family that God's judgment was on. And I mean judgment in the pure sense, not in a final sense. I don't mean the wrath of God. The, the, The discipline of God is not the wrath of God. The the discipline of God is the correction of God. And it's not something that's preached about anymore, or very much. I haven't heard any preaching about it anywhere. I've read any books about it. Because it sounds so negative and archaic and arcane that there would be this thing called the correction and discipline of God. But I don't know if you know, God does not read your books and God does not check out your seminars. And God does not base his behavior on what the Supreme Court decides or the legislation votes on. Amen. He said, I'm the Lord God, I change not. Hallelujah. That means you get to do all the changing. They accepted as a nation, and you see this throughout Israel's history. Because I, I used to just focus on everything that Israel did wrong, and there's a lot, man. They were really brats. They were really difficult people, and they were, you know, like I heard a guy say the other day he, at, a, at a, a, a program I was a part of, he said, we don't any longer at our church talk about wanting to be a family. He said, we used to, our church was a family, you know. He said, no, no, we don't want to be a family. Families fight. So we don't want the church to be a family. Families are dysfunctional. His, his, his answer was the church needs to become an army. I think there's something to that. They accepted the discipline of God as a part of the fatherhood of God. Hebrews 12. 5 is the great passage. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure the divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you're illegitimate. You're not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us, that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It is painful, but afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. They associated, the discipline of, they associated discipline with the fatherhood of God. Now, nobody talks about the discipline of the Lord as uh, much anymore. We've turned the heavenly father into the heavenly grandfather. I said, we've turned the heavenly father into the heavenly grandfather. I'm a grandfather. I don't discipline my grandchildren. I just want that to be known. I do not discipline them they can do pretty much what they want to do. <laughs> Just as long as they're not breaking anything, you know, or hurting themselves. But like, they want, they, they want the Reese's pieces or the Reese's uh, peanut butter cups, they, they, want, they want another one? They want another one, sure. <laughs> if I parented like I grandparent, I would not have these great kids. No way. But I'm not going to change, and Sherry sure as heck's not going to change. She's worse than me. She gives money and candy. <laughs> See, here's what we've done with the fatherhood of God. We take the fatherhood of God, which I which is so important, and we emphasize the security of the believer. Created by the fatherhood of God. Because we know fathers don't disown their children. I mean, good fathers don't. And I applaud that aspect of the fatherhood of God. Yes, I believe the fatherhood of God means the security of the children. We also emphasize the authority of the believer created by the fatherhood of God. I'm I'm a child of God. I have a right to healing. And I have a right to prosperity. And I have a right to peace. And I have a right to joy. And I have a right to... To not be, feel guilty, I have a right to forgiveness. I have a right, right, right. I have all these rights because I am a child of God, and I say Amen to all of that. But we must also, if if we're gonna if we're gonna get be all excited about the fatherhood of God, fathers discipline their children. Good fathers do. Good fathers, good fathers figure out how to give measured pain to stop bad behavior, to stop the child from ruining his life. As you know, Jordan Peterson's, I think his fifth rule in 12 rules for life is don't let your kids do things that will make other people dislike them. No, no, I'm sorry. Don't, make, don't let your kids do things that will cause you to dislike them. That's what the, the rule number five is. That's actually good parenting. That's, that's a great tip for parenting. <laughs> I'm not saying you're suffering because you sinned. But the truth is. And here's the truth. We all need correction. And it's one of the keys to getting past your past. Is dealing with your own sin. Dealing with your own sin in your past. Alexander Skolzenitsyn. To maintain his own sanity when he was in the gulag for 12 years began to evaluate every way that he might have transgressed. Every way that he might have caused his nation to be under totalitarian rule. Every way that he participated. And he memorized the words to a 700-page book that probably did more than any other single book to change the face of Eastern Europe. See, in the 21st century, and I want you to hear me this morning, we've become so fearful of feeling guilty that it has paralyzed us. What we don't realize is that our terror of being ashamed has made us more helpless because we're always stuck with trying to change somebody else. You know what? Being at fault is one of the most freeing things that you can figure out. One of the most freeing things you can figure out is what did I do to cause the suffering? What did I do to make the situation worse? It's one of the most freeing things and the reason it is so freeing is because if, if I caused it, there's a better chance that I can keep it from happening again. But if you caused it, I have to try to change you, and you don't like it when I try to change you, right? If you can figure out what I did, if I can figure out, if, if my kids are not what they should be, and I can figure out what I did to keep them from being what they should be, I, that puts me in control. I have control now, because I can control what I do with God's grace and help. If I can figure out what I'm doing to make... To, to make the past of my marriage not what it should be but we spent all this energy man we spent all this energy we, we spend all this energy trying we, we somehow think that there's a there's an award there's some award that there's some like a, a, a Oscars or or a Glo- Golden Globe award for the person who can prove that somebody else was mostly to blame we we somehow think we we believe that Has that ever brought you inner peace? Has it ever brought you deep, meditative, inner, transcendent peace? Because you found out it was your wife's fault. Or you found out it was your kid's fault. Or it was your dad's fault. Or your uncle's fault. But I'll tell you what brings incredible peace. is when you can find, when you can, and some of you have experienced this. It's called, there's a biblical word for it. It's called repentance. I know it's an old-fashioned word. Some of you have never heard it in church. But repentance brings peace because you can get forgiven. You can get forgiven when you repent. And when you call it sin, stop calling it all a mistake. Some people are so afraid of being a sinner, they go around trying to convince us all they're mistakers. I'm not a sinner. I'm a mistaker. No, there's freedom God did this whole thing. I know, I know some of you haven't read the Bible very much. But there's this whole drama built around the, not the forgiveness of mistakes. I, I mean, me losing my keys all the time, that's a mistake. That's not a sin. There's a whole event built around not, not the, not the uh, uh, excusing of mistakes. But the forgiveness of sin, it's the most important event in history. And it's the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't go to that cross to excuse your mistakes. He went to that cross to forgive you of your sins. And if you want to feel the presence of God come into your life, if you want to feel the power of God come into your life, if you want to begin to enjoy the moment you're in, take responsibility and release the power of the cross by saying, I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, beg God today to show you how you could have contributed to things going wrong. You know, most of the problems in life, I've either caused them or I've made them worse. Some I didn't cause. It wasn't mostly my fault, but, but I made things worse. I could have made it better. Now, there's another bearing, barrier to being blessed by your blessings, and that's we adapt to circumstances and ways of being that aren't God's best for us. The Hebrews made a key decision while in Babylon. And that was, we won't completely adapt to life in a foreign land. I find this in Psalms chapter 137, verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There, on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked for us songs, and tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while we're in a foreign land? It's really interesting to me that in their music, and music is terribly important, in their music and their singing is where they took a stand. You know, if you read, uh, uh, if you read the, uh, the book of Daniel and other, other places, you will find that God told them to build houses and marry and have children and And adapt in some ways to the land of Babylon. But there were ways they were not to adapt. And it's really interesting that this is where they took their stand. The Hebrews, here's what I believe they were saying they were saying, we're not going to celebrate being out of the will of God, we're not going to celebrate being tormented, we're not going to celebrate being abused. We accept God's decision to put us here, but we're not going to accept it. We're going to save our song for Zion. Amen? Pat got that. Pat Burke got that. There's a lot about Psalms 137.4 that are still a mystery to me. One thing I'm sure of, and that is a key to you moving beyond abuse, is you're reminding yourself that you don't belong to your abusers. But you belong to God. And no matter how bad it got, Hebrews never forgot that. It's important not to make the place of suffering and torment your place of worship. What the devil will do to you, he will try to get you to worship your problems. Charles Blair was an Assemblies of God pastor out in Colorado who... um, uh, his his church decided to build a, an assisted living center, and uh, they did not file um, uh, properly with 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 the federal government or the state government. I don't know which, but they, they didn't file what they call a prospectus, and this is illegal. And Charles Blair was really he he was like me, you know, like I'm I'm Colonel Potter half the time, you know, it's, it's the old mash. Of, I'm signing things, and after. Days later, I find out what I signed somebody put it on my desk. It's Pastor signed this, so I signed it. And that's kind of the situation. He didn't really wasn't the guy who was going to know the legalities anyway. He figured his people he had hired. This was a big church out there at the time, and so he got he got indicted by the federal government. I believe it was federal government. He got anyway. He got indicted and charged with a felony. And eventually he did jail time. I heard him speak later. He said, when this it, we were in the middle of this trial, he had got done preaching one Sunday, and of course he's talking about it, as we tend to do when we get up here and preach, we talk about what's going on in our lives. And he gets up and talks about it, and I don't know what he said, but an old missionary came up to him afterward. An old missionary it was happened to be a lady, came up to him and said, Charles, stop worshiping your problems. <laughs> Whenever something becomes our focus, it becomes our worship. And the children of Israel in Babylon never forgot that this is not where we stop. We're not going to stop in our abusive situation. We're going to keep moving. Uh, By the way, this is just kind of a a P.S. It doesn't cost you any more for me to say this. Uh, But worship songs aren't sung to people, but with them. That's just something for you to remember when you come in here next Sunday and the worship team starts to sing. Worship songs, see, these people wanted to be an audience and they wanted to be entertained. Worship is not, is not, on Sunday morning worship, when the worship teams come up here, it is not entertainment. It is not a performance. You are supposed to sing. You're not, they're not supposed to sing to you. They're supposed to sing with you. And we need to... That needs, that's something that, that I have a little bee in my bonnet about that needs to be restored to the church. Is people need to begin to sing again. Now, if we can help facilitate that, I know there's people out there writing articles about why you can't sing and all that. I don't want to go there. I'm not going there, by the way. I'm not throwing the worship team under the bus and making it all their fault. Maybe, maybe we all can contribute to this, but but... but I think we're singing songs that are very singable. In fact, in fact, by the way, just to commend you and give you a little pat on the head, you are doing way, much better. This congregation is doing way better. I, I brag on you all the time when I talk to other pastors. I say, my people are really starting to sing. They're starting to clap their hands. They're starting to raise their hands, starting to enter worship. Because worship music is not to be sung to you. It's to be sung with you. Turn to your neighbor and say, worship music is to be sung with us, not to us. Sell them. Now, finally, I want to say this, and this is what they understood, and we, I haven't been going back, running back to the text very much today, but they understood that rebuilding a life in the land of blessing, and this, here's why some people do not embrace their future. It's not because of the guilt and shame of the past. It's not because they're stuck in the past. Some people do not build their future because they don't want to work that hard. Amen. Stephen, you're you're you're, you're me right now. <laughs> it's hard work, isn't it, yes. to build a new life with some new friends, some old friends, but some new friends and some new purpose, and, and kind of you, you can feel like uh, uh you can feel like I'm I'm in, back in kindergarten now. I'm I'm in a I'm in a realm where I don't know much, and these people seem to know everything. They really don't. <laughs> they're, not, they're way they're way they're way not smarter than you think they are, but. But notice what it says in verse 5. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping and carrying seed to sow will return with songs of joy and carrying sheaves with him. What's the the picture there? The picture is they've come back to the land and all the fields are all, there's nothing growing, man. Things are a mess. Things are grown over And they got to go out there and they got to plow those fields and they got to sow seed in those fields. And this is really hard work. So, so that's the message. That's the message. Now that you've gotten your act together a little bit, now that you've left bitterness in the rearview mirror, now that you've repented of your foolishness and acknowledged the Father's supremacy, there's a life of sowing in tears and reaping with joy. In other words, God has a passion for you to build your purpose with. Those tears aren't tears of sadness. They're tears of passion. Amen? Amen? The tears in this text are for three reasons. You are grateful for the opportunity that God has given you to invest your life in something. You are filled with passion and deep emotion because this is an opportunity to change the landscape around you, in your community, and in your family, and in your church. And what you're about to do is really hard because you're going to start caring about other people, and you're going to start building a ministry, and you're going to start having a purpose, but it's going to pay off. I want to say this, and I want to put it on the wall for you. The new way of spelling blessings is R-E-S-P-O-N-S-I-B-I-L-I-T-I-E-S. Responsibilities. That's how you spell blessing. Deborah Rainier is moving into a life of greater Responsibilities. It's going to be hard, and I and I've talked to her about it. Said, so, "Listen, just bear down now, focus. Because there's a reason people don't don't go forward in life. Because it's hard to go forward in life. It's hard to go to that job every day. It's hard. It's hard. It's mental work. It's emotional work. It's it's hard to care about other people. It's car, It's hard to care about other people's." other people's birthdays and other people's anniversaries and, and other people's grieving and other people's drug addictions and other people's stuff. And sometimes you just you just talk about crying, man. You will cry. You will cry for many reasons when you start to care about other people. And yes, some of those tears will be sadness when you start to care about the other people. But you become a person who's responsible. You become a person who bears a load. You, you take up your cross and you follow Jesus and you make a difference in this world because you're going up to the hill of God. you're going to meet God in Zion and God likes to meet with responsible people you're not in Babylon anymore say thank God I'm not in Babylon anymore the people that I'm primarily aiming this message about today have been transported to a place of blessing and opportunity, you're not in Babylon anymore but you've got to take the next step you've got to make sure Babylon is not in you Are you negative? Then Babylon's in you. Are you bitter? Then Babylon's in you. Are you blaming? Then Babylon's in you. Are you stuck? Then Babylon's in you. Every Jew who sang the songs of ascent on the hill up to the city of God were thinking, we used to be in Babylon, but now we're home. (laughs) We used to be in Babylon, but now we're home. We used to be the tail, but now we're the head. We used to be slaves, but now we're the boss. We are residents with rights in the city of God. A couple of you probably remember the charismatic movement. Remember the charismatic movement? Remember when we used to do what we call the Jewish two-step? You know, the Jewish, you know what the Jewish two-step is? Anybody, anybody out there know what the Jewish two-step is? Well, let me show you. We used to sing, let's go up to Zion, let's go up to Zion, let's go up to Zion, the city of our God. There's oil and wine in Zion, there's oil and wine in Zion, there's oil and wine in Zion, the city of our God. That's what the people were doing. That's what the songs of ascent were about. They were rejoicing, and they were going up to Zion, the city of God, and that's what God's doing to us. Babylon is Babylon's in the rearview mirror, and we're going to break the rearview mirror because God has taking you to a new place. God has taking you to a place of responsibility, a place of power, a place of effectiveness. Your life is going to make a difference. You're going to change your world because you are ready for blessing. I want our prayer partners to come. Jesus Christ. I, I felt led in the series to end with Jesus every week. And I want to end with Jesus again this week. Jesus Christ did what I'm telling you to do. He was the model. He took the burden of, of all of our sinfulness. If you, you notice that Jesus stood before Pilate, he did not defend himself once. Because He wasn't wasting his energy on being defensive. He took the whole burden of everything that was wrong with the world. He said, I'll take the burden of every crazy, stupid, wrong thing that everybody has ever done. I'm going to take it on me, and I'm not going to worry about what anybody thinks, and I'm going to climb the hill, and I'm going to make a sacrifice. And I'm going to make a sacrifice. And I'm going to take the sins of the world on me. I'm not going to worry. I'm going to take everybody's guilt. I'm going to take everybody's shame. I'm going to take everybody's pain. I'm going to go to the hill. Now, you you don't have to carry it the way Jesus did. You just have to carry it symbolically. You just, have to, you just have to stop being defensive. You just have to stop worrying about what everybody thinks. You just have to stop worrying about that who, who got blamed for that. Well, I think they're 80% of the blame. No, no, just, just go like it's all your fault. Go, go like you're completely responsible for every bad thing that happened. Now, you know you're not. You need to tell yourself that. I'm not saying that. Be real careful with what I just said. Because I'm not trying to make. You're not responsible. If you were abused as a child, you didn't cause them to do it. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying, put the worry of making someone else feel guilty. Put that on the Lord. I said, put the worry of making someone else feel guilty on the Lord. I said, put the worry of trying to make someone else feel guilty on the Lord. Somebody in this room now needs to give that to the Lord right now. Because you think the key to your peace is making someone else know how awful they were but you can't do that. That's the job of the Holy Spirit and it's too big for you and that will crush you and it will rob you of joy. You and Jesus walk up the hill and meet with the Father and say, Father, I'm home. I'm home.